What's up to all my cinephiles out there? Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. Uh, I am Spencer Bailey, and I am, of course, here with my awesome co-host, Chelsea Burnett. What's up, Chelsea? Hey, Spencer. I'm ready for this. Let's talk some Oscars. Yep. We're having a nice Saturday. The weather's decent. Got my coffee. Let's uh, let's get going. Uh, the As you just said, the spotlight topic of this episode is going to be, we're just going to recap the 2021 Oscars. Uh, we were both able to watch it uh, partially over the weekend, and you kind of rewatched it a little bit, and I think we're ready, and I'm, I'm excited to go over uh, some of these some of these awards. Me too. Awesome. So a couple things before we get started. I do want to say I want to do a correction from the last episode. It drives me insane when my favorite podcasts say something that's just blatantly wrong and they never address it. So, the corrections corner. Yeah. So I said when I was talking about Memento that he did Christopher Nolan made insomnia before memento. I was wrong. I had that backwards. He made memento first. Oh. So if anybody heard that and was like, no, Spencer, you're wrong. I'm calling myself out. Here we are. I'm, I'm calling it out. So there's that. The other thing I wanted to start by saying is happy birthday, Chelsea. Your birthday was this week. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. You're this, welcome. This is a nice way to end my birth week recording a podcast talking about the Oscars. Good. Well, I hope you had a good birthday. I know I was with you. You gave your gift was amazing. Uh, Spencer gave me the American Psycho screenplay, which I have not had time to crack into yet, but I can't wait. I want to make sure, like, I've got. I don't know if I want to have coffee, tea, or a hard alcoholic beverage in hand. We'll we'll see before I start reading that. But I'm very excited. Well, Thank I'm glad you. you liked it. I'm glad your birthday week, or I hope your birthday week was was a good one. I know you were pretty busy, but but yeah. Um, okay, so as normal, we're going to start with some news. We got a couple news stories we wanted to go over. Um, I think that uh, it'd be no surprise the first one we're going to cover was kind of the silly story of uh, Citizen Kane losing its 100% on Rotten Tomatoes after an 80-year-old uh, review was uncovered in a Chicago magazine or newspaper, I should say. Um, I, I want to preface by saying I don't think Chelsea or I put a lot of stock into Rotten Tomatoes percentages. And I know there's some people that are like, they don't matter at all. Well, they, they matter a little bit. It, it can be a nice gauge. Yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. Do you do you use Metacritic ever uh, for reviews? You know, these days, what I'll do when I want to see that stuff is I'll Google the movie and you have the IMDb score, the Rotten Tomato score, and the Metacritic right there on the Google page. I'll check that stuff out. So um, don't put a lot of stock in any of it, but it's a nice gauge. You usually see a mediocre movie, usually falls somewhere in the 60s. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, that makes sense. Now there's some bad movies that or just not even just bad movies, but every Marvel movie gets 85 to 90% now. Like, okay. You know, and, and but that makes sense. They're um, doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing what guess, they're supposed yeah. to do. And, and the critics don't dislike it. Mm-hmm. And then there's movies that I thought were really good. that got, got panned. So, um, but this was funny because Citizen <laughs> Kane often considered one of, one of the most important films of all time. In fact, it was funny on your birthday. I was talking to Paul, your father-in-law because uh, he had never seen Citizen Kane. And I, I said that. I said it's probably one of the three most important films of all time. I was just picking an arbitrary number. And he said, well, what were the other two? And I was like, well, he's put him in a spot. And I just happened to say The Godfather and Casablanca. And then we Googled it. And those were the first three that came up. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, for some reason, everybody's comparing it to Paddington 2, which apparently still has a 100% score on on. 
Have Which, you seen Paddington 2? I have. My sister loves both those movies. She says they're amazing. Does, um, does your sister have kids? No, no. Okay. Yeah, but, but you don't have to to enjoy them. Yeah, Micah and I have seen both, and they are quite delightful. Um, but I always feel that with Paddington 2, it became a thing for critics to just hop on the bandwagon because I think they thought it was like a joke almost to say like, Yes, let's give this movie the most prestigious like ranking on Rotten Tomatoes of all time, uh, or I guess right behind Citizen Kane until recently. Um, it is a very charming movie, and uh, Hugh Grant is pretty funny as the villain in it. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's if it's deserving of a hundred percent, but I'm not gonna hate on it. It's 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 you know it's fun. It gives us something funny. It's a fun distraction to talk yeah. about this right now. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's a funny story. 100% Rotten Tomatoes. What does that really mean? I mean, nobody disliked Paddington 2. If it's a really charming, fun movie, then I can see that. Nobody's 100% doesn't mean it's a masterpiece. I mean, Godfather's not 100%. Mm-hmm. Casablanca's not 100%. You know? Um, so, fun story. Citizen Kane, still insanely important film. Um, if you care about cinema, you should watch it at least once. You should certainly watch it before you see Mank. It will make the movie much more enjoyable, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, so the other story you you brought to the attention of of the well, I don't know why I'm saying it like that. You brought to my attention, uh, but uh, France looks like they're going to reopen here in May this month, and they're revving up for the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. It seemed it, everything I was reading about it. They, I think someone was quoted saying, "There is no plan B. They are, they are going ahead with this." And I think the country um, is really reliant on um, the revenue stream that comes through from uh, what this uh, festival kicks off. And um, I don't think it's going to look like it has in years past. Um, it definitely will. Be a lot less probably Hollywood celebrities than um, are usually there. Probably just more of an inter like just mainly international presence. Well, I guess it wouldn't be international in France, but more of a French presence there. Um, and uh, this kind of gives me some hope of uh, because I always looked at Cannes as like the second major film festival in a year after Sundance of what really starts to kick off awards buzz and um you start you know picking up on like okay what's performing well at these festivals what's and um it sounds like they've got the french dispatch that's gonna premiere there the west sounds Anderson. like that's the big one that mm-hmm. one and some musical starring adam driver yes <laughs> and, well, and, and maybe maybe the west side story remake which is supposed to be i mean i know everybody's really hot to hear more about that, Spielberg doing one of the most popular West Side Story movies of all time, it, it won so many awards back in the was it the sixties I think. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. why why remake it? Why does it need to be remade? But uh, uh, I don't know. I'm not a huge musical person, so I'll leave that to those people. But uh, I, I'm impressed. Um, you know, the announcement to reopen France was was pretty recent, and they're scheduled cans out for nine weeks from today. So they're going to have a lot of, it's not a lot of time to get uh, an event that large ready to go. So I'm sure they'll pull it off. Um, You know, I wonder there's movies that have been held off that were supposed to come out last year, but didn't because of the pandemic. I'll be curious to see what other 
other films they're they're prepping if, if films can be ready in time for it um I, I I don't think we're gonna get back to movie normalcy till probably 2022 mm-hmm. but uh it's I mean you're right I agree with you it's it's a ray of light a ray of hope it is yes uh from some cranky old french people giving us a ray of hope sorry nothing against the french they're great well they criticize us enough so that's fine rightly so but anyway we don't need to get into all that all right well we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with the spotlight topic all right welcome back so uh chelsea let's dig into the oscars Mm -hmm. um i don't know what you thought about it i will say i you know first of all i love steven soderbergh um me too and I, I applaud him for trying. Um, you know, it was really striking how small the room was. And I actually I remember when I turned it on, I was like, oh, is this like the pre-awards that, you know, like the lower level stuff? Oh, I was like, oh, no, they're it was very intimate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought the pace here, here's what I was fascinated by. The pace was so good. Right. I like, agree. It felt like it went so smoothly. And it was still three hours. And I'm just like, how there was no musical numbers, there was no jokes. And it was still three hours long. It was just like, how is this, how is this still this long? Cause it feels like it's really trucking along. But um, the other thing, and I don't know how you felt about this, but the way they ordered things, like doing director so early on in the show, I was like, what are you doing? Uh, it, I was okay with the director being early, early enough in the show, but the, the best picture, I mean, I don't know if we want to jump way ahead to talking about that yet, but I was a little bummed that best picture wasn't saved for last. I understand and I think we'll get into why they saved best actor for last and that kind of blew up in their face, the producer's faces. But I just think you got to just cap off the night talking about best picture. And But I don't – so I really didn't mind having the director – and best picture spaced out a little bit more. Um, I think it kind of ca- it added a little bit um, more like guessing to where the night could go with the awards. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And and again, and I want to reiterate, I really applaud Soderbergh for trying something different. The ratings have been going down every year, trying to just make some tiny changes to make the show more interesting. And yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Doing director that early felt really odd to me and. The way it ended, which we're absolutely going to get into. Um, there was some fun stuff I really enjoyed, like when Harrison Ford came out mm-hmm. and read the uh, the bad Editing. reviews of a movie he was in Once Upon a Time and then told everybody it was Blade Runner. You know, the critiques were so silly when you, once you find out it's Blade Runner. Uh, Steve Young or uh, Yoon um, shouting out Terminator 2, his, his, his first favorite movie experience. Like, yeah, man, mm-hmm. that's that's great. Uh, one thing I thought was odd, and I thought it was so interesting because I've seen a lot of people talking about this as problematic, and your mother-in-law kept bringing it up while we were watching it on your birthday, but she was like, where are the clips? Mm. Where are the movie clips? Like mm. She was I love seeing the movie clips because I don't get to see all these movies. And and she's right. They really only showed the clips for for the acting awards. And, and picture, I think. That was the um, – it would have been nice to see – more of like for the production design and hair and makeup nominations. I don't recall them even showing um, drafts of any. Like sometimes they bring out like uh, almost like sketches of uh, the set design or or the costumes or whatever it may be. But it 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 that was I don't remember seeing any of that this year. 
Yeah. But I love the clips too. I know. I I noticed when they were playing clips, I was like glued to the screen. Um, and uh, I it it adds this like I don't know this little extra gloss to the the night, and it gives a little extra theatrical element to it, which I like. Yeah, I mean, always been a big fan of movies like we both have, but you know, in the er- earlier years when I was younger, you know, maybe I was interested in a movie and I didn't get a chance to go see it. But seeing clips, or maybe I didn't think a movie was that big of a deal. And then when it got nominated for a bunch of stuff, you see different clips. I mean, I remember the one that stands out to me for some reason, I don't know why, is Silver Linings Playbook, which is a good movie. I don't, you know, I don't need to watch it a bunch of times, but I remember like you heard about it and I was just like, okay, that seems like a nice little movie. But when it was up for all these awards and, you know, when it was up for like three different actors were up, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, I think De Niro was nominated. And Bradley Cooper, and it was up for Best Picture. You got to see like multiple clips of the movie and it made you want to see it. That's Um, a great point. That is so true. It's a really good marketing strategy, actually. (laughs) Um, But I want to lead that into, so I had planned on, I knew we were going to do an Oscars episode for a while. And I really wanted to talk about, in this world we live in now, the streaming versus cinema thing. But transitioning from what we were just talking about, I think it's so fascinating because, you know, everybody knows now the ratings for this Oscar is like plummeted. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's been hovering around two or three change. You know, it goes up, it goes down. And this went from like 23 to 10 million people. And I do. And I'm sorry to interrupt no you. Problems. I'll make this very quick. I really think that's unfair. I, I see all these reviews of this Oscars being really weird is the word that keeps coming up. And it was weird, but I, I, I think it was weird in a good way for the most part. And um, I, I, I really think the Oscars should uh, – the producers, Steven Soderbergh and his other um, – partners he worked with on this i really think they should be applauded for what they were able to pull off in the pandemic and still make it like feel like a really like entertaining experience and give us a little bit of that oscars gloss that i was talking about but having to kind of shift things because of what's happening in the world and it it does make me sad to hear just how interest in the Oscars is going down and down because it was something growing up that I really treasured and look forward to watching with my with my family and I always thought it was a special treat yeah yeah no totally applaud I think they did the best possible job that they could in the situation they got most of the people there to give their speeches on site which is different from the Golden Globes that we saw um but you know going back to the streaming cinema thing and to transition for what you were just saying about people calling it weird or whatever I was kind of shocked to find out. So I wanted to have the streaming cinema conversation with you because you and I both miss cinema. Mm. But there was something very pleasing about we were so easily able to get caught up for the Oscars because everything so readily available on streaming. And I love going to cinemas and I don't think that we only need cinemas for Godzilla versus Kong. But like I think Nomadland would have been great to see in theaters. But did I need to see Minari in theaters? I don't know. Probably not. You know, did I need to see the father in theaters? Definitely not. You know, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Didn't need to see that in theaters. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, there was this convenience I really appreciated. So to hear that the ratings went down and people were being kind of hard on the Oscars because 
apparently a lot of people haven't seen these movies. And I'm kind of like, well, that's your fault. Like it couldn't have been easier really this year to have seen most of them. Yeah. Yeah. And even though like I had to rent Minari and the father for 20 bucks, I would have spent more than that at the theater. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I don't understand. And and I know that there were movies that got held back. But let's be honest, a lot of these movies that got held back in 2020 were not going to be up for like Best Picture. Like, yeah. I, I cannot wait to go see No Time to Die with You. I'm pumped. That's not going to be up for, for Best Picture, right? You know, Dune might be. In some categories, it could, but, but yeah. Yeah, these were good movies. Like, they weren't all groundbreaking. Like, you know, some some Oscar years are better than others, you know? Every year can't be 1994 or 1973. Um, But these are good movies. These are well-made movies. I just don't understand why, you know, what else are you doing? We're all stuck in our house. You could have caught up on all these movies. I I, I don't know. I so agree with you. I, in the midst of watching the Oscars, I was, I was thinking to myself, like every, leading up to this, everyone was talking about what kind of a, and a random assortment of films these are that were nominated for better or for worse. But they all felt extremely deserving. Like as we were running through the night, I just saw the display of talent here tonight is is really in, inspirational. And um, I think it also is going to be a really, really cool um, time capsule for what 2020 into 2021 was. And um, it for cinema. And I, I don't think we should um, be ashamed of any of these films that were nominated or won. Um, I, I, I really think it, it's it's capturing a moment. And I think they're all um, I think they all had something kind of specific to say about different facets of culture and society and what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some really lackluster Oscar years that Mm -hmm. had nothing to do with the pandemic. So I don't know. I don't know why people were just kind of meh about this group of movies. I've seen way worse. Can we also, can we give Daniel Kaluuya more awards? Because he's delightful when he gives speeches and is really charismatic and sexy and fun to watch. I just want to keep giving him more awards and giving him more roles, I guess, to play. But Did you hear he was on Mark Maron recently? Oh, I'm going to have to listen to that. It's such a good interview. He's such a down-to-earth guy. And, you know, Mark's trying to congratulate him on winning Golden Globe and being nominated for an Oscar. And he's just like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. But he goes, that's like a bonus for me. He goes, I'm not picking these roles, thinking about how many awards I can win. I'm picking them because it makes me grow as a person. And I'm like, man, Daniel, you are awesome. A couple more quick things I just wanted to highlight before we get into the awards and we're not going to cover every single award um just just some that i i think are the more interesting ones and of course the big ones but uh super happy that tenant won uh for uh um visual effects mm-hmm. um I, i'm glad tenant won something it's not my favorite christopher nolan movie but i really like it i'm i i just unabashedly love nolan movies and um i thought the visual i mean his visual effects are always good yes and uh of course another round winning best international film awesome movie i i again i i think there's some mixed messages of what you're supposed to take away from that film but there's nothing like it it so. truly had a, a real vision like i think um all of the accolades 
Thomas Vinterberg received um, in the like Oscars lead up was very deserving and um it it was i think that there's a, a stereotype with uh best international features or foreign films that they're very like heavy lots of crying uh grays uh muted and to see um a movie like another round that um was a uh ends with a dance a dancing scene with like a pop song playing i thought that was it was refreshing to see yeah good movie if you haven't seen another round check it out mm -hmm. it's you know subtitles but uh um michael Mix or maz mickelson is uh he's really great in it he um, is all right so let's get to the awards that i, I want to cover and so i wanted to start with and i i don't think I, I apologize i sent you the layout for this episode and i don't think i included it but we can riff on it for a second i put cinematography you know that's one of my favorite things about films if there's good cinema photography mm -hmm. it just sucks me in um and i i think the main reason i wanted to talk about it was just because i thought it was cool that mank won uh, me too I, I agree i thought nomadland had it wrapped up and 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 it would have deserved it you know i mean some of the the wide angle shots in that that film are really gorgeous um and are used very well to set the tone of which part of the movie it was in um but People don't really seem to like Mank. And if you haven't seen Citizen Kane, I, I get it. And it's not like any other Fincher movie. Um, it's not my favorite Fincher movie. But it's it's a good movie. It's a well-made mm -hmm. movie. And yes. It may not be your thing, but I've actually people like, and I, you know, of course, I take this with a grain of salt, people on the internet. I saw someone the other day on Reddit just flat out go, Mank was shit. And I'm like, no, you didn't like it, and that's fine. Uh -huh. But it's not shit. David Fincher doesn't make shit. No. Yeah. So uh, I was glad to see any one production design, mm -hmm. uh, which I think it deserved. I agree. The production design nominees, okay, when they were panning through the audience, the first nominees were for Tenet. I don't know if you saw the look on their faces, the um, the set deck, the set designer and the production designer. They, they had like the biggest like frowns or just – like they looked like they couldn't even be bothered to to smile crack the slightest smile and i thought it it i, I thought it was kind of awkward and then it just made me laugh <laughs> just seeing seeing how serious they they looked but um i i i think maybe i i'm not sure why they looked so serious um but just added i guess to their allure but um but yes i i thought it was wonderful that make one um, for a production design. Yeah, I think it deserved both those awards. Mm -hmm. um, it's a well-made movie. Just mm -hmm. the story's not interesting to everyone, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. So moving on to one of my favorite categories, best score. You know, I'm a longtime musician. Uh, so um, Soul wins. Yeah. I think well-deserved. I think the dichotomy of the created by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Baptiste um, where John Baptiste did all of the the jazz music in the real world, and then Reznor and Atticus Ross did a lot of the more somber moments and the um, the, in the ether, the, the afterlife. Yeah. Um, and when I first heard Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross doing a Pixar movie, I was like, okay. And they were able to put their stamp on it in a kid's movie. Um, they were also nominated for, for Mank minus John Baptiste. And I thought the way that they did those nominees where they just showed the two of them for Mank and then all three of them. Uh, and I thought it was so gracious of Trent and Atticus. They really seemed to just let 
John Baptiste kind of take the spot. Like we've been up here before. This is your moment too. And let him speak a little longer. I agree. I agree. Um, I actually, when John Baptiste brought up uh, God, I think he said, God gave us these notes or whatever in their note. Then I, all I could think about is like nine inch nails. And, and <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, I was like, I wonder if uh, Trent Reznor believes in God or not. But I was like, I, you don't think I, God is a fan of, I want to fuck you like an animal. <laughs> I don't know. Unless God, uh, maybe God would surprise me with Star that Fuckers one, but... Incorporated. I don't think God's a big fan. <laughs> but it just made me think about like these guys don't strike me as being Christian, uh, standing behind John Baptiste. But I thought it, this is a really weird aside. I know what I'm saying, but I guess just to say again, it, I thought it it shows how maybe their styles are different, but it you can tell there was a mutual respect there, and I think it really came across in Soul and the music of Soul, and um, with combining these two different styles, and it was done very beautifully, and I'm so glad they were awarded. Yeah, well deserved, well deserved. Um, I, as I, other nominees, as I said, Mank, uh, Minari, which perfectly fine score, but uh, you know, um, I've heard people talk about the score and I still haven't seen Minari. Um, but I, I have heard people say that was like maybe their second favorite. Uh, I don't remember it standing out too much. It fit the movie very well, but mm-hmm. it was just like a perfect, it was perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing, nothing awardable, not worthy of beating out soul or, um, you know, maybe not even Mank, but uh, News of the World, which I don't think either one of us have seen. Mm-hmm. I've heard it's just kind of an okay movie. We'll get around to it. And uh, Defy Bloods, which you have seen. I did seen. see. And I, I can't say I can really recall what the the music was like. Um, but um, there, I think Delroy Lindo's performance is kind of what I stepped away remembering the most. Mm-hmm. But um, but Spike Spike Lee, I'm, I'm sure, you know, with his touch on it, picked something great. I should have re-listened to the, the music from that movie before the Oscars, but I didn't. Oh, it's, that's fine. I mean, I, like I said, Soul was going to run away with that. Mm-hmm. No problem. You, that was one of those ones you could have put all your money and your bank account on. Yeah. They were going to walk away with it. Um. Next, sticking with that, just moving right to animated, Soul 1. Soul is a really enjoyable movie. Pixar has a really good batting average. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, yeah, I, I don't have kids, so forgive me. I'm not caught up in a lot of these other animated movies. But uh, Soul really touched me. Um, I, as I just said, I'm a longtime musician and um, struggling with what the main character is struggling with of trying to hold on to that dream, but realizing that maybe you're better suited for something else. But then just the final message of it doesn't matter. Just go live, yes. just go live. And, um, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, think you saw a couple of the other ones, right? I, um, well, soul, I had taken me a long time to get around to seeing soul. So, um, I, that right now that's just, all top of my mind because I had I had oh onward I saw and I was not that impressed with onward that was another nominee it was a fine fine movie but soul I think that was maybe the only other one of the nominees I saw but soul was a movie that for some reason I think I had just heard one too many kind of meh reviews about or almost on the side of negative and it like turned me off and I it just goes to show I shouldn't just base things off of critics opinions um i really need to dive into something myself because i was it was such a rewarding experience i thought it is it is um just a a almost perfect animated movie i i and i 
felt like it is relatable for children, but adults can take a lot out of it. And um, there was a lot based on the the voice actors they chose. I thought there were some really funny moments. Like Micah and I were were like doubled over laughing at times. And um, I think there were so many levels to the movie that I didn't know about just based on reading reviews. And I'm kind of glad in a way that I was surprised by them all. I really appreciated too that they brought back some very important black actors like um, uh, uh, Felicia Rashad <clears throat> and, yes. um, and uh, Angela Bassett. And I recognized both their voices immediately. I was like, that's so cool. Good job. You know, um, and I thought Tina Fey did amazing. Like I, I forgot most of the movie that that was Tina Fey. She did such a good job. So um, yeah, soul's great. Soul's great. Pixar over the years is, I think they were steadily rising in the early days and then they had some drops, but this is one of the better ones I've done in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I'm excited to move on to this one. We're going to do uh, best original screenplay. Um, now uh, Emerald Fennell won for a pre- promising young woman. Uh, so full disclosure, prior to starting the show, Chelsea and I did a practice episode where we talked that may or may not see the light of day. Probably not. Uh, mostly cause it just sounds the, 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 the audio quality is bad. Um, but she, Chelsea, you really riffed on, uh, promising young women cause you've seen it. Um, and so I'd love to hear. You talk about Promising Young Woman and then why you did or didn't feel like it deserved this win. I think um, I think the standout of Promising Young Woman is the is the screenplay. And so for it to step away with that award um, as the major highlight it makes a lot of sense. I think Emerald Fennell. I'm excited to see what she's going to move on to do with with another project she wants to direct, but I I do feel like her writing um, was was the the shining star. Um, I think she was able to tackle a really complicated and ugly topic and bring levity to it um, and make it really um, approachable and digestible and. Um, and it it was very thought provoking, so um, and I really I I I liked her perspective where she was coming from the the direction and um, and Carrie Mulligan's performance um, were also I, I I think they deserved nominations, but of of if looking at just those those three I think to award the writing um, made a lot of sense and and uh, I know that Emerald Fennell was the second. Well, not the second. She's now been the next woman to win that award in that category after Diablo Cody. It, it had been that long since Juno for another woman to win um, Best Original Screenplay. And I didn't know that until I was reading about it this morning. But when I, when I found out she won, I said, oh, well, it reminded me a lot of when Diablo Cody won and the buzz around Juno and what Diablo Cody was going to do next. And um, I, so I think they're kind of uh, an, two interesting pieces to look at in tandem and and um, also what Juno was capturing in the late, mid to late aughts and now what Promising Young Woman is saying about um, the 2020 time period. So um, 
I I'm very happy she won, and I thought her speech was um, was really sweet. I kind of liked how nervous some of the early speakers were about how they'd been like grilled like to keep their their speeches shorter to have something written, and I, hers came off the cuff, and I thought it was really classy and cute. Um, I feel like Promise a Young Woman. I mean, is it kind of a controversial film? And I I don't know if that's because. You know, I know about the very uncomfortable scene towards the end of the movie. The the topic is uncomfortable. I mean, how do you feel about all that? Yeah, I mean, it's um, I think it's something we're now all pretty used to talking about with the Me Too movement. Um, like sexual assault is really out in the open now. So um, it is. I I think we're all a little bit more comfortable like saying rape, talking about that. Um, and but to put um the situations she put her characters in revolving around this topic i thought um just the the progression of the story was really smart and um i i can see where it um it, why it caused some controversy um but you kind of had to just go with she was kind of going for this heightened sense of reality um in order to i think tell um, all the facets of um, how complicated this ugly web is around um, ar- around misogyny, sexual sexual assault, all of that. I hope okay. that made sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you you talking about that. Um, yeah. So other nominees: Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, Minari, Sound of Metal, and and uh, Trial of Chicago Seven. Interesting enough, two of those films original screenplays but real life events um you know i the only movie i haven't seen on the list is promise young woman and based on what i've heard and what you've told me about the film i think it's probably deserving i I think the other screenplays were good maybe sound of metal would have been my my second choice or or minari probably sound of metal what a unique movie but um but uh congratulations to emma Fennell, and you know it's always great when um women can start to win more of these awards. So uh, moving on to adapted screenplay, um, the father wins Christopher Hampton and, and Florian Zeller, who directed the film and was responsible for uh, the father was a stage play. Um, Christopher Hampton probably helped him shape his play into a screen, into a movie screenplay. But uh, Christopher Hampton always also wrote for atonement and dangerous liaison. So he's been around for a while. Um, it's interesting. The other nominees, so are, Borat, uh, which is adapted. I, why is it adapted? I guess because he played I mean, this character on. Yeah, it must Ali be G. because it was already a, a, an established character. Yeah. Uh, no Bad Land, One Night Miami, and uh, The White Tiger. Um, so I, I've seen The Father. Uh, yeah, I, I watched hear it. What you think I had not it. seen it at the time of the Oscars. I watched it. Um, I'm trying to think if I would pick. I mean, I guess it is really fascinating how. They turned the the film. The film does not feel like a stage play, and I think that's really hard to do. When I watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, that feels like a stage play. Mm-hmm. You know, when you watch Glenn Gary, uh, Glenn Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that feels like a stage play. Few Good Men does not feel like a stage play. You know, um, so I think there's an art to that. So maybe for that reason, I would probably give it to it. Um, but I think No Man Land was also. That was a challenge because you're taking this nonfiction book and turning it into 
you know, we will talk more about No Man Land, but this really unique film that's part fiction and part nonfiction. Um, I thought what an interesting way to take that book and make it into a film. So I think it should have been The Father or Nomadland. I'm, you know, I, it took me a while to come around to understanding why Nomadland was um, nominated in that category and just goes to show my ignorance when it comes to screenwriting. And it was, I actually (laughs) was on my way over here to record and I pulled out my notebook because I had a thought about how I was like, wait, why have I been so hard on Nomadland with the screenplay nomination? Because it actually, everything you just said, I I ditto. Like it, that really was a difficult task to take that nonfiction book and give a narrative um, story to it. And yes, I think it it was totally deserving of that nomination. Great. Yeah. I mean, we're in agreement. Um, so yeah, in closing, I would say now that I've seen The Father, knowing that it was a stage play and seeing the end result, um, deserved nomadland winning would also been been deserved Mm -hmm. so um okay moving right along uh director no surprise chloe chloe Zhao. i mean i i think that was another one that you could have bet the farm on it was you know and deserved what a what a really great job for a lot of the reasons we just said yeah she just she comes across too as a very like genuine person and I always like to see people like that get awarded and um this seemed like it was a labor of love for her and for Frances McDormand and um I I think they were a a beautiful pairing and they 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 produced a a piece of work that I think is really going to stand the test of time and it's so amazing to see a a woman of color an Asian woman uh win too in that category and i hope it's a sign of some some changes in in the way that we're um awarding filmmakers yeah absolutely you know only two women have won and they weren't both white women (laughs) i mean so i mean i you know take that for what it's worth i guess but uh no i agree and but it's deserved that's Mm -hmm. that that i'm glad to see that a woman of color won best director but that's not why she won yeah she she did a great fucking job you know and by the way her career is about to explode and we're going to be hearing about chloe Zhao a lot she's doing a marvel movie and uh, I know she's got another big project coming up, which escapes me right now. But that reminds me of um, with Short Term Twelve, how the directors—I uh, think they're—I think the movie was directed by two people. Whatever it was, they were brought on to then do um, Captain Marvel with uh, um, Brie Larson. And um, I, I didn't under—I hadn't seen Short Term Twelve at the time, but I was like, oh, I wonder why those people were brought on for this this indie. These indie directors were brought on to then work on this big Marvel movie, and it kind of now is reminding me a little bit of they. I, I don't Disney. They see things in people. They're like, we can find a way to channel this. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. So. She's obviously very talented, and I'm excited to see what else she comes up with. Um, the other nominees, uh, uh, Thomas uh, Vinterberg for another round. Uh, he did a great job. Um, uh, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Um, you know, another one of the probably top two films of the year. Great job. And uh, Emerald Fennell, who we just spoke about. And then, of course, our boy, <laughs> Fincher. Um, I didn't think he was going to win. One day. One day. Although... If he won so little for the social network, what does the man have to do? What does he have to do? He'll end up getting that like Martin Scorsese award that he got for The Departed, but maybe. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what his next couple movies are. Um, he's he's not old. 
he's you know and i'm sure he'll keep working and although he is working with netflix a lot now and i hope that doesn't hinder his movie making too much but mm-hmm. um i'm going to stop because we talk about fincher a lot <laughs> we love fincher we love him maybe we can get him on the podcast Maybe for your birthday next year, I'm going to be able to swing that. I can I can get him on a Zoom call with you or something. Hey, look, if he if he didn't even allow an interview with Mark Maron to be be published, I don't know what I'm going to do to change his mind. <laughs> I don't even know what I would say to that guy. I would just be like, just talk, David. Here's mm-hmm. the microphone. Mm-hmm. Give us give us your soul, please. Mm-hmm. Um, um, okay, moving on to this is so weird. Best picture, and there's a reason we're doing best picture before the acting categories. There's a couple reasons we're doing it, right? Um, that's how they did it, mm-hmm. which was weird. Um, and there's such a big controversy with one of the acting categories. And I figured we should just group all the acting categories together. So let's just talk about Best Picture. Okay. So I I, I was very moved when Nomadland won. Um, I, I It was expected for sure. Um, but, uh, I, I actually really liked Francis McDormand's howl at the end. I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. I love that she's a lady that seems like she gives zero fucks what anyone thinks about her. And, um, I, I just, um, seeing them bring up the non-actors like Swanky and the other cast members, um, on stage and honoring them in that way, um, just really like typified, I think, why, um, that movie is special and why it should be remembered. And um, if any other film, so I was excited when Sound of Metal won for editing. And you were, you, I, you about leaped out of your, your, your skin when that happened. I know. I thought I, I was like, does it have a real chance of winning best picture now? Um, even though I, of everything that was up for best picture, I, I I don't think Sound of Metal probably was the best picture of all of them, but um, I'm really glad it won in the editing category. Um, it won for sound, which made a lot of sense, but editing does have to work pretty hand in hand with with sound as as well. And um, and I think there were some challenges to that film and the story they were telling that the editors um, the editor did a, a a wonderful job with Sound of Metal. But um, I personally really loved that movie. I, I liked Sound of Metal more than Nomadland. But I totally think Nomadland des- deserved to win. Um, agreed. I think it's a no-brainer. Um, we've talked a lot about Nomadland. It's it was such it's such a unique film, and to have two seasoned actors working with real people playing versions of themselves. Well, sometimes versions of themselves, and then sometimes themselves. Um, to you know, really create that humanism and, um, or not, you know, create that sense of humanism, but in conjunction with telling this important story, getting this amazing acting performances out, amazing cinematography with an open-ended ending. And, um, I just added the category categories here. I just think it was a no brainer. I, I would not have been shocked if Minari won, um, it really was a a, uh, a a nice film um that shows a story you probably would not have thought about otherwise um but i just you know nomadland was cleaning up everywhere else deservedly so i think it's it's the way to go now what i do want to say now that i've seen the father i think this is a good time to talk about it um 
I agree with you. Sound of Metal totally deserved to win for sound, the way they handled the sound of that film, which was so important to get the right vibe across. Um, I, uh, when I watched Sound of Metal, being a musician, I just had extreme anxiety. <laughs> I think I remember you telling me that. I'm yeah, I was just like, I can't even imagine not being able to hear music anymore. But the way they, they put you in Riz Ahmed's shoes throughout that film with the use of sound, um, you know, before he gets the cochlear implants, I'm not spoiling anything, but, uh, and, you know, and then after and um, the way the movie ends, sound is the most important thing, the way the movie ends. Um, I do want to say, I wonder if the father should have won for editing now that I've seen it. Um, so for those who haven't seen the father, I mean, we know what the subject matter is. Anthony Hopkins is, you know, having worsening dementia while his daughter is trying to figure out how to, um, you know, handle that situation. The movie is very disorienting for the viewer on purpose. You're supposed to be feeling what he's feeling. Um, I was, you are so confused throughout the movie about what's real and what isn't and, and who is who. Um, most of it gets cleared up by the end of the movie, but some of it's not what parts were he get, you know, was he getting confused about the way the movie moves around? He's confused about time frames. He's confused about people that was done so well the editing made that movie. The editing made you, put you in his shoes. It mm -hmm. made you feel how confused he was. I mean, it was infuriating how confusing it was. I, I kept throwing my hands up going, what is, I understand what they're doing, but what is going on? I don't, so I really would have liked to throw my, the father's hat in the ring for, for editing. I think it, uh, it probably should have won. But, um, but as far as best picture goes, I mean, it was No Man Land, hands down. Uh, the Father and Sound of Metal, we said, were also our, our nominees. Mank, which probably had no chance, but I appreciate them Nominating acknowledging it was a well-made movie. Uh, Minari, as we said, Promising Woman, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, it's a cool lineup. Like, I really like that lineup. Was um, there any movies that you wish had been nominated for Best Picture that weren't? Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. I got to go back in my Rolodex to think about what I've seen that um I mean I'm no you know what I'm sorry I'll let you answer that because I, I I can't nothing's coming to mind yeah I don't know if anything jumping out to me either to be perfectly honest with you um I think that was a good I think that was a good lineup um there are movies that came out this year that were nominated for other things they were very good in some respects but I don't know if I would have put them up for best picture uh, the acting top to bottom in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I, you know, but I wouldn't have put it up for best picture. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was a good lineup. I think Nomadland was the obvious choice. And um, you congrats know, to them. I, I do think The Five Bloods would have been really, really cool to see that thrown in there. I don't think it stood a chance. Um, but I think that movie was doing something very daring and very different. And I think it should have been recognized. Yeah. And Delroy Lindo, who I already spoke of, uh, I think he should have been nominated in an, an acting category. We're, we're certainly going to have to do a Spike Lee episode. He is one of the 
even with a storied career as his, he's so obviously underappreciated in Hollywood and definitely underrecognized. And one of the biggest travesties in Oscars history is that Do the Right Thing mm. just won nothing. It was barely nominated. It was such an important film. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely have to riff on Spike Lee, do a whole episode on Spike Lee because he's probably one of the most important American filmmakers of the last 30 years and is not thought of nearly as much as he should be, is not as recognized as, as much as he should be. Um, and he doesn't always, he doesn't always, you know, he's got some stinkers. Mm-hmm. He absolutely does. But do the right thing. Uh, Inside Man. I still have to see Inside Man. It's on my list. It's a really cool movie. I saw it when it first came out and I, I was expecting like a big heist, like heat movie. And that's not what it is. But when you watch it like a second time, you're like, oh, this is really good. So, um, so that's best picture. Um, so we're going to, we're going to move into the acting categories. We're getting to the exciting part. So starting with supporting actor, and we've already talked about it, Daniel Kaluuya, so deserved. I was halfway through Judas and the Black Messiah and I was just like, just give it to him. Mm-hmm. Just give it the yeah. word right now. Like, holy shit. He is unbelievable. Like if you get nothing else out of watching that movie, mm-hmm. I promise you, you will take away at least how unbelievable he is. Yes, a hundred percent. I, uh, the only other kind of just emotional pick for me is, um, such a dummy. I forgot to write his name down, but, uh, he was in sound of metal. Paul Racy. Paul Racy. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, I would have been really happy to see him uh, walk away with an award, but um, they, he was giving a different performance than Daniel Kaluuya, what, Kaluuya was, and um, I think it's great he was nominated, and it's okay he didn't win because, yeah, I think the right man was awarded. Paul Racy's awesome in Sound of Metal. I, I'm glad he was nominated because he, he deserved that. He really did. But Daniel Kaluuya is just such an absolute force. I mean, he... I, I, it would have been a travesty if he didn't win. He's yeah. incredible yeah. in Judas and Black Messiah. Staying on that topic, so dumb. Why was Lakeith Stanfield mm-hmm. also nominated for Best Supporting? If they're both supporting, who's the lead? Who was the lead actor <laughs> in that movie? Remind me of the confusion with the favorite and um, how really Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz were giving lead performances and Olivia Coleman was the supporting performance. But I, I don't know that category fraud is very confusing to me. It's absolutely. Whose fault was that? Was that the makers of Judas and the Black Messiah not thinking like he Stanfield had a chance and lead? I mean, who if they're not the lead, who was the lead? Jesse Plemons? Like... <laughs> I mean, honestly. No, Martin Sheen playing uh, J. Edgar. Yeah, he's in two scenes. Like, come on, man. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Lakeith Stanfield would have won in either category, but do do right by him. Mm-hmm. Do right. He was the lead. Mm-hmm. He was the lead. And, you know, and he wasn't going to beat Daniel Kaluuya in supporting. Why, why do that? To, I don't know. That is, just irritates me. It would have been nice to see uh, Bo Burnham maybe in the um, from Promising Young Woman. I would have. Um, I kind of would have liked to have seen a more like uh, comedic performance in there. And I, I actually think he did a, a a great acting job in that film. Other uh, nominees were Sasha Baron Cohen um, and uh, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Um, I mean, like I said, nobody was beaten. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Well deserved. It's probably not going to be his last one. He's just, just so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on to best supporting actress, 
course, uh, Yoo Jung Yoon won. <laughs> Yoon, Yoon Jung Yoon. Like, I want to say her name right. I I'm sorry. I, I'm not stepping in because I know I can't pronounce it any better. <laughs> yeah, I'm really not trying to be disrespectful. She, um, it was cool to see her gaining all this traction as the awards were going on uh, because she really does stand out Minari. And she adds, um, the movie's very serious until the grandma shows up and she's funny and, but a serious thing happens to her and she kind of keeps, she breaks, she continues to break tension throughout the movie. And oh, by the way, her Oscar speech was hilarious. It was. She seems like such a wonderful person and her hitting on Brad Pitt and then telling every, that's so gracious of her to stand up there and go, it's almost not fair that, anyone should try to say who did the best in this art form. And she goes, but she says, I just think I got a little luckier than the rest of you. <laughs> and luck truly is kind of what it comes down to sometimes, right? Right place, right time. And um, she seems uh, from what I've heard is she, she's been a, uh, an, a working actress for many years and, um, and also has like these very like old Hollywood kind of connections. And, uh, I think it's, it's beautiful to see, see her win. And she reminded me so much of my Nana. I was like, it's like my Nana, if she was Korean up there, but, um, cause also a very dry, my Nana had a very like dry sense of humor too. Like she did. Yeah. And she just looked lovely. Her her dress and her hair. And I know it's not about what people look like, but I I just loved everything about her. And I need to see that movie. Yeah, no, she well deserved, well deserved. Uh, other other nominees, Glenn Close. Which there was a part of me that's like, are they going to give this to Glenn? Um, Hillbilly Elegy has been panned. I mean, it's it's supposed to be really bad. Uh, but Glenn Close is good in it, but. Um, she, she should have had one a long time ago, probably. Um, and I really thought they would just give it to her, but she's a great sport though. I think there's a lot being made of that debut thing she did with, uh, uh, I, 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 I think it was pretty cute if it was staged or not. I mean, sure. I'm sure, I'm sure it was staged, but she's a great actress because she was able to play it off. Like it was all on off the cuff. Um, and I just, I think that she's very classy for I know she must hear about all the hate that Hillbilly Elegy got, but she's just like, you know what? I'm just going to go and live my best life and wear a pretty outfit and have fun. It's not her fault the movie's bad. Mm -hmm. She did her job and she did a good job. You know, Mm -hmm. it's probably direction problems. I'm sure Amy Adams is probably really good in it, you know. Um, Maria Bakalova, who probably had no chance, but she's getting a lot of attention for her performance in Borat and... I'm sure she's very excited about, you know, what her career is about to look like. Uh, Olivia Coleman for the father. She's very good in the father, but I don't think she deserved to win uh, over uh, Yoon Jung Yeon. And um, uh, Amanda Seyfried, who there was a small part of me that really wanted her to win. She's really, really good in Mank. And uh, I think that we and I'm 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 just, you know, I'm included in this. I don't think we all realize what a good actress she is because we think of Mean Girls and she's in a bunch of Nicholas Sparks movies. And Mank showed it's like, no, she's she's actually really good, and I'm I'm hoping we can see her in some more, um, mm-hmm. you know, more substantial dramas here soon. 
And I recommend to our listeners out there to seek out the um, big picture episode when Sean Fennessy interviewed her because I, I I don't think I'd really spend much time hearing her in interviews and she seems just like a really cool, um, down-to-earth, like humble person. And I liked hearing a bit about her process of playing a real person. Yeah, that was a great interview. And you're right. She just seemed like she just she seemed like a G man. She just seemed like a like just a cool person yeah. and doesn't not a stuck up Hollywood. Also, she's a beautiful dog. If you haven't seen pictures of her and her dog, Google it. It's a gorgeous dog. Ooh, okay. I love dogs. I'm gonna look this up. Um so that brings us to the big one. Lead actor. Um oh man, did that blow up in their face. Uh I have no doubt in my mind that they saved, they did not do big picture, best picture last because they thought Chadwick Boseman was going to win and they were going to have this big, beautiful send off. And listen, this is not like the Moonlight La La Land thing. This was not a screw up. I don't think people realize like Anthony Hopkins, who, as we all know now, won one best actor over Chadwick Boseman, his va- the Vegas Odds on that prop bet were 750 <laughs> to one. There are people out there that put $1 on Anthony Hopkins and made $750. Like if you're Soderbergh, who Chadwick Boseman was cleaning up everywhere. Anthony Hopkins won the BAFTA, but there was a lot of belief that, well, that's a UK award. They gave it to a UK actor. Um, I, I would, I've done the same thing in Soderbergh's, you know, position I, I who who i was shocked you were sitting next to me and when they said anthony hopkins i yelped yeah you go right on your phone too i remember you were just trying to see i think what people were talking about online it was the most unexpected thing in a long time and it was kind of a bummer that it just made the night like it went to quest Questlove? Yep. Yes. It, it um went over to Questlove, and uh he kind of didn't really seem to know how to wrap up uh, on that sort of surprise uh win and it just yeah left everything feeling kind of flat so i think i don't blame them for banking on chadwick winning and wanting that to be the send-off of the night but i think they should have had a plan b they should have figured something out what they were going to do instead yeah if if anthony or someone else won sure and i mean poor Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, you can tell he just wanted to just walk off stage immediately because, and it's not his fault. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not anybody's fault. Yeah. I mean, nobody should be mad about it. Um, it, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I was blown away. And you've seen both movies. You've seen Ma Rainey and you've seen The Father. Just, yeah. If I'm not putting you on the spot, no, no, I no. Mean, I was prepared to talk you, about this. Who would you? Who would? Who would you have? marked down on your ballot so here's what i'll say um i was hearing a lot of buzz for chadwick boseman earlier in 2020 and people were saying like be prepared for chadwick boseman to win a bunch of awards and he was cleaning up and the odds on him winning were i think they were negative i mean that's how how likely it was for him to win you know, it's interesting when I was watching The Father and I was, you know, I was I was taking the movie in, but I was also thinking about this this topic for obvious reasons. And I think the one thing that stuck out to me was it's so interesting that I th- think for most of 
both Anthony Hopkins and Chadwick Boseman's careers, we saw them playing strong characters, right? Chadwick Boseman is Jackie Robinson and he's Black Panther and he's a cop. And Anthony Hopkins is Hannibal Lecter, who's nuts, but he's in control and he has power over Clarice. And he's like, um, you know, he's he's vampire killer in Dracula. And he's, uh, uh, I forget the name of that Joel Schumacher movie. It's not very good with Chris Rock, but he's like a federal agent in that. And this is the first time I can think of for both of them that you see them as a weaker character, which goes to show their range. Um, so in that respect, I thought they were very similar. You have Anthony Hopkins, who's an old man and his, his dementia is setting in and he's becoming a very weak character. And, um, Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey is a flawed person who with his background is understandable, but he's weak in a, an emotional sense. Um, he's short sighted and he's a little gullible. And you feel sorry for him by the end of the movie. And you feel sorry for Anthony Hopkins by the end of the movie. Um, he, okay, here's what I'll tell you. For the vast majority of the father, I was thinking they're both really great. And I guess it really could have gone either way. Chadwick Boseman really is amazing. Everyone is. Everyone is. Um, in fact... Um, Oh my God, I just realized we skipped lead actress. We'll go back to that in a second. Um, I felt so bad. Uh, I meant to do that before this. Anyway, uh, for most of the movie, The Father, I thought this was a dead heat until the final scene. Mm -hmm. The final scene of The Father, I literally I, I literally threw my hands in there, up in the air and I said, that's why he won. Yeah. The, the final scene of The Father, Anthony Hopkins, I, I mean, I, I, I choked up. I... It did not seem like acting. He, I, I'm sorry. Now that I've seen the father, it's it's Anthony Hopkins, 100, percent 100. percent Like it was a dead heat until that last scene, and he stole it. He he won by a nose in the final scene of the movie. I think that's a great way to put it. I without me having seen the father yet, but I'm very interested in seeing it. I think the winning it by a nose is a is better way to put it than when Nicole Kidman won and whoever was the, the person that said, and by a nose, she won because she wore that prosthetic nose. But no, but I I, I, I'm, I really want to see The Father. I really like Chadwick Boseman's performance. I was very moved by it. And I think it was, um, I, I, I like how you were saying about how they were both t playing weaker p characters. Um, yeah, but... Uh, so that was made it interesting for a head to head. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say to anyone who wants to watch the father, it's only about an hour and a half. It's, it's not a slog. You can, you can knock it out pretty quickly. Um, and it doesn't, um, it doesn't weigh you down because you're watching it for the characters. Um, and less so for the, I mean, you're watching it for the topic too, but it's not a heavy weighted story there. It's, it's mostly just like three people, and you're really watching it for for Anthony Hopkins and, and Olivia Coleman, who's who's really good. And uh, Imogen Poots is in it, and she's great. I really like her. Everything I've seen. I love her, her in. name. <laughs> yeah, it's quite. I'm sure she heard a lot of, got a lot of grief for that name. Uh, well, I of course wanted to end on on that, but we didn't do lead actress. I feel so bad for skipping it. Um, of I course, think, I think we've got some stuff to say about Frances McDormand though here. And yeah, yeah, she won, and she's awesome. And what a legend to be. The f only woman to win three leading 
Oscars. Meryl Streep's got three. One's for supporting. I have very complicated feelings about <laughs> Meryl Streep, which we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss someday. Um, I'm so glad that Meryl or Francis McDormand has has three leads. Is is you know, I mean, obviously Catherine Hepburn reigns over all of them with her four wins. Uh I'll be honest with you, in my heart though, I thought Viola Davis should have won. Yeah. She is just so unbelievable in Ma Rainey's Black. I mean, what a transformation. Uh, yeah, that's a great great and I love that the hair and makeup uh team won for uh for that because I think they had a lot to do with really rounding out that character. Right. Maybe this sounds a little simplistic, but look, obviously, if you agree with me, in certain points of Nomadland, did your brain go, oh, I'm looking at Frances McDormand, not a character? Well, you know, and it's funny because Chloe Zhao um, said, and here's Fern uh, to speak when they won Best Picture. Right. And then Frances was like, I'm actually Frances. But like, I couldn't tell if that was like an inside joke they sort of have between Probably. each other. But I thought that was an interesting comment to make because, yeah, you wonder, was was she really stretching herself very – it was such a naturalistic performance right. that sometimes it's hard to tell when is that acting and when is that just being a charismatic person yeah. on the screen. And don't be wrong. Frances McDormand is a legend. Mm-hmm. She's – I mean, she is a legend. Yeah. She's an awesome actress. Yeah. But at any point in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom where you're like, I'm looking at Viola Davis? No. Yeah. No. I, I don't know. I'm not going to take that away from Frances. She was great in the movie. She's an all-time great actress. I just think it should have been Viola Davis. I agree. Um, um, other The other um, nominees were Andre Day, who, of course, won the Golden Globe for playing Billie Holiday. Um, I loved what she, I don't know if you caught what she said about Purple Rain. <laughs> they bleeped it out, but uh, when they were having her do that trivia moment, like before Glenn Close did her thing, and they came over to talk to her and ask her if she thought Purple Rain one was nominated or wasn't nominated at all, and she said, "Well, it's a great song, and for that reason, I." And then they bleeped her, so I think she said something like, "And it's probably because it's the fucking Oscars, and they don't nominate actually good, good songs, <laughs> something like along those lines." But I wish it hadn't been bleeped. I really wanted to know what she said. I think that uh, that movie was way too weird for people when it came out. Uh-huh. It's still really weird. Uh, Day, uh, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, and then. Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman, who you've stated she's she's awesome, but I don't know that you would have put her above Frances McDormand or Viola Davis. Yeah, I think I think it being between Viola and Frances made a lot of sense in yeah. my mind. So that was the Oscars. Um, what an interesting year. Um, be see, be curious to see what they do next year. I wonder if they're going to bring back a host. Yeah, like you know who's that host going to be. I think they're going to have to really do something. I don't know. Do they get even more different or do they go back to like 1990 style Oscars? I I don't know. I hope they take elements of what uh, occurred at this, this year's Oscars going forward. I I think there were a lot of things. I, I, they were very smart about the actors they chose as presenters and they were all, I thought, not only looked great, but sounded great. They all were like up to the task of presenting. And I feel like sometimes things get a little weird. Like when John Travolta said Adele Dazeem when he introduced Adina Menzel. Oh and all God, these people were that. very professional and having a lot of like, you could tell they were having a lot of fun with it. And I liked them being intermixed in the audience and the way the camera moved. Like, kind of like to see more of that. 
Um, and may so keeping it a little more intimate in that respect and and having presenters more in the audience would be cool. I also but I wouldn't mind having a host too in addition to that. I think they gotta change it up and the internet for a few years has been calling for the Muppets to host the Oscars. <laughs> I think I think it's a brilliant idea. Just do it. Don't stop taking yourself so seriously. Let the Muppets host. I promise you the ratings will go up. Yeah. And with the Muppets you can have that you have a sorry, you have a big long or huge cast of characters who can um you know take yeah, turns just imagine the, night. the yeah. old guys in the balcony making fun of everybody uh, for the whole show it would be yeah. amazing mm-hmm. uh so we'll see you know um some exciting movies coming out this year that were got pushed pushed out because of the pandemic and i'm sure they'll be in the forefront of next year's oscars and there's i'm sure especially once you, as you were saying at the beginning of the episode cans and Sundance start to have their run. We're going to be hearing about movies we didn't even know about. Um, so, uh, you know, I've said it before. I don't think you and I put too much stock in the Oscars. It's just a fun thing to, 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 to pay attention to in, you know, connection to this, this thing that we love, but we also know that it's not, not that important in the grand scheme, in of, the grand scheme of things. No, but it, it at least you know puts a spotlight on some uh, some really cool talent, and um, so for that, um, I I like it, and it's just it just gives me warm and fuzzy feelings from just just loving movies. Yeah, same here. So, um, well, short episode. We gave you a long episode last time. A little bit of a short episode. So. We'll close out with our recommendations for the week. And Chelsea, would you like to start? Sure. So um, I would like to recommend a film called The Assistant. And it is directed by Kitty Green, um, starring Julia Garner. Um, she's on Ozark, but I've never seen that show, but I, I've heard great things it's about an it. awesome show. Yeah. Um, and I, the, the Assistant is based on the Weinstein company um and that environment um and have you seen the assistant by the way Spencer I have not uh you can watch it on Hulu if you're interested um and it's uh it it's a day in the life of Harvey Weinstein's assistant the Harvey Weinstein character's assistant played by Julia Garner and uh I I ha- I I work in the the film industry here in Portland, and um, there were a lot of things I noticed about the environment in the office there, working for a um, like a production company that I really related to. Some things that were truly horrible, and I'm so grateful I've never never witnessed. And I I think in a way I work in a little bit of a bubble here in Portland, in a, a really beautiful little bubble um, in the film industry. Um, so see, I think they tackled the the subject of what a monster Harvey Weinstein was and the type of um, ugly ugliness that surrounded him and the company and was was buried for so long. I think that uh, Kitty Green really did a uh, in she did a great job in bringing that to the screen and in picking um, just to to follow a day in the life of this character who is witnessing all this real seediness and and it she has complicated feelings i think this character she's new and young in the industry and she wants to become a producer someday and she sees that this is her her only way to advance um 
I, the the movie was just I, I thought very visceral, and I I can't give it a three uh, because I I'm I'm not sure everyone is going to enjoy it, and if that's what you like to watch movies for, is to enjoy feel feel good or enjoy it. Um, this is going to be a challenge for sure, um, and it's it's going to make you I, I think you're going to not at the end of the movie, you're, you're not sure how you're going to feel about the lead character that we've been following, um, which I liked a lot about it. I'm giving it a two because I, I, I do think it's totally worthwhile, but I, I'm warning people. And it also deals with, you know, the, the topic of sexual assault. So um, you don't see anything explicit, but there are many things implied if you know anything about Harvey Weinstein and the way he abused his power. So um, it's just a good mood piece. Um, and I, I I give it a two, the assistant. Thank you for that. Um, okay, so my recommendation, I think, is going to raise some eyebrows. Um, I had planned to do a different movie, but I watched this movie this week, and I said I'm absolutely bringing this up, and the timing's right. My recommendation for this week is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, starring Yay! and directed by... Uh, Ben Stiller. Yes. Oh my yeah. God. My brain just <laughs> shut down. Ben Stiller. Um, I remember when this movie came out and I thought it was an interesting trailer and I like Ben Stiller. I love Kristen Wiig and I, I really like Sean Penn and Adam Scott's in it. Um, and I was like, that looks like a nice little movie. And the reviews started coming in and people were like, eh, I think it's sitting at 51% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. What made me want to watch it finally this week is a few months ago, I was listening to Spotify and, you know, I was listening to like a suggested playlist and Jose Gonzalez, who's an awesome songwriter, did a few songs for the movie and a song of his called Stay Alive came on. He wrote it specifically for the movie and I could tell, I was like, I heard it. I was like, this song closes out the movie and I was right. Um, and it had a picture of Ben Stiller skateboarding. I knew the movie was about traveling, getting out and showed him skateboarding somewhere on a mountain and the song is really great. And it just gave me a good vibe. And I said, and looking at the picture, I was like, I just want to, I'm going to watch this, watch this movie. And it's really good. It's really, really good. And let me tell you something. It felt so refreshing to watch a movie that was uplifting and inspiring. And I like serious tone movies, but they don't always have to be that way. And we just did the Oscars. Every single movie just about every movie that was up for every award was a serious, somber, heavy movie. Minari was the only one that I feel like by the end of the movie is uplifting, but it's still really serious. But all those other movies just weigh you down. No Bad Light weighs you down. The Father weighs you down. Sound of Metal, you know? And I just it just hit me as I was watching the movie, like, why don't we talk about these movies more? And it's a good movie there's nothing where the pacing's good it's funny but you know and it really is inspiring the movie ends and you're like man i just want to go live i want to get out in life and just live and why is it sitting at 51 percent rotten tomatoes what do these critics want does it have to always have to be some serious poignant topic why can't we watch movies that just feel good to watch i don't understand and you know one thing i struggled with was i watched this movie and i'm like Oh, I just want to, I just want to get out and live and I want to do what he's doing. I want to take pictures of a vol erupting volcano in Iceland. Um, and I struggled with, but then I have to stop myself and go, I've had a pretty cool life. 
I've done a lot of really cool things and it's okay to want to do more, but just to keep that, you have to, you have to toe that line. But, but anyway, the movie just, it ended and I just felt great. I was in such a good mood and the point of the movie, I mean, there's a couple cheesy parts. Um, Ben Stiller tells off Adam Scott's character towards the end of the movie and you're kind of like, wah, wah. But, uh, I just really enjoyed it. I'm giving it a three. Go watch it. If you just want to feel uplifted, you're tired of sitting in your house, you're tired of watching movies where sad and heavy things are happening, go watch Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I promise you, I promise you, you may not walk away going, that's one of the best movies I've ever seen, but you will walk away from it going, I'm glad I watched that. Pick a Sunday afternoon, just knock it out. Thank you for that. I also really like Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I think I've seen that movie twice. I saw it in theaters and then watched it again at home because I liked it that much. Yes. Good vibes. Anyway, well, thank you for listening. Uh, I think we're going to be back next time covering the topic of uh, mental health in movies uh, with a guest. Um, I think it's going to be a, an interesting topic to discuss Absolutely. and looking forward to it. Me too. Thank you so much, Spencer. Thank you, Chelsea. Until next time, I am Spencer Bailey. I'm Chelsea Burnett. We'll see you. Thank you for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland, Oregon. Music composed and produced by Josh Colopy. And cover art created by Taylor Engel. Check us out on Twitter for updates regarding new episodes and listen to episodes anywhere podcasts are found.